0: back to your seat. That would be awesome. We're going to go ahead and get started with our teaching time this morning. Welcome to Skyline. We're so glad you're here. My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Get to share with you this morning. Um, so grateful, friends, for um, worship. For just the ability to be in God's presence week in, week out. For the team that leads us, really grateful um, for how they lead us. What an incredible privilege it is to be in God's house um, every week to worship him. So this week we were supposed to hear about a new uh, prayer and healing ministry that Skyline has been engaging in and raising up leaders. And then all of our people who are going to share got sick. Um, and so Friday it was like, well, we're going to punt. So that means, uh, Greg's going to preach and Greg said, no. So I'm just joking. He didn't, I should just, he should just come up now. So it got put to me to be like, Hey, uh, in a couple days you should, you know, figure out something to say that won't be terrible. Um, and so, I'll, I'm going to give it a shot. And, uh, when all this fails, I felt like it was just a good time to kind of re up our vision as a church and who we are and chase mentioned it at the beginning, um, but I want to dig into it a little bit because uh, every week it seems that we have more new people, and what I know is that um, our culture really matters. If you're new here, you need to know about um, who we are and why we pursue the things we pursue and what we really value and how that gets um, externalized into what we do week in and week out. And and so uh, Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. And I'm going to dig into each one of those a little bit this morning and talk about them. But that's who who we are. It's not what we're trying to be. Um, it was it was unique because when we started talking about how do we crystallize, how do we put words to what God's done in our church over the last three or four years, those, those are the words that came out. That's who we are. We are a worshiping community. We value the presence of Jesus above all other things. He is primary. As one person said, he's the guest of honor at every meeting. He's the only person we're actually trying to attract here this morning. If he shows up, everything's great. (laughs) If we miss him, then everything goes awry. We're a worshiping community. We're also a, a disciple Making community, and then we're a generational community. So all these kids, we want to do all of these things in the context of multi-generational relationships. We don't want to just be a young church or an old church, a traditional church or contemporary church. We don't want to be bound by a narrow theological um, purview. We want to be across the spectrum. So we're going to dig into that as well. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, which I think you do, or if you've got one on your phone, open to 2 Corinthians. Three, Paul's words here really uh, spoke to me this morning as I prepared this. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time thinking about this. I was just like, oh, this is, this is what it feels like uh, to, to get up and talk about these things, these like really core things. So 2 Corinthians 3, it's page 965 in your Bibles in the pew, 3 verse 1. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? <laughs> Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. So as, as I speak about the culture and vision of Skyline, I'm not doing it to convince you that we're better than any other church or we have the corner on the market. I just want to bear witness to what God has done here and the agreements we've made with him about who we're called to be at this specific time in the world, right? So so we're not trying to commend ourselves to this, this vision, but we are saying this is what God's doing. And I love it. He says, you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And this morning was supposed to be a, just a string of testimonies of people whose lives have been changed by prayer and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You're going to hear these in a couple of weeks, but we just want you to know that the the testimony of the church is written on hearts. It's not written on walls. It's actually proven in the lives of Christians. And I'm so grateful that the lives of the people in this church bear Witness to who Jesus is and his power and his love. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter but of the spirit. For the letter kills but the spirit gives life. Uh, And friends we just want you to know the core of our culture at the church is the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, he, he does this high priestly prayer in John 16, 15 through 17, really. But it, he, he talks about, listen, I'm going away and you're grieving that you're not going to have me in the flesh and blood anymore. But don't be afraid. I'm sending you a helper and it will be better for you to know him because he'll dwell in you and you'll have him at all times to guide you. We want this church, we believe that the church is meant to be led Not by a human, but by a Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God living in and through us. Now he says, now if the ministry of death, carved on letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites couldn't gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? I love this. Paul's saying, like, we read about what happened with Moses when he met God on the mountain in the earth of the Israelites. He's saying the church should be more glorious than that. The church, the experience of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in us as we give our lives to Jesus should be more glorious. For if there's glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. I love that. Paul's like, listen, we have so much hope in the person of Jesus, we are going to live with maximum boldness. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. So friends, religion puts a veil over your face, right? It puts a veil over your face and it obstructs you being able to see the new covenant, the glory of Jesus, his offer of forgiveness and grace and mercy without works, without earning. And so I was thinking about this, it's fascinating, if you met someone uh, who got married, but they still had their veil on? The girl still had her veil on, like ten years later. You'd be like, I think it's probably time to like take that off, right? Like it's it's weird. Can you imagine like not ever being able to see a clear picture of of their? And that's what happens is is in many ways the church has decided because we we like rules, we like control, we like order. We take the veil and we put it back over our faces because we're scared. What would happen if Jesus actually shows up in glory? What if we actually just gave ourselves to him and stopped worrying about what other people around us are doing and whether they're doing it all right and following all the rules and doing all the stuff. What if we just said, my only goal here is to behold the face of Jesus unveiled. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the lord who is the spirit that last verse i want to focus on as part of our vision and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the lord are being transformed how do you get transformed How do people change? That's the age-old question. How how do I change my life? And Paul says the first step to change is beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus. This is it. You have to come into contact with God's presence. You have to see him. You have to feel him. We said earlier, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus is alive. He's real and he says that he actually meets people Paul met him face to face on the road but we with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another so we as a church want to reject behavior modification and just acquiring information acting as if that will change us right Because it doesn't. We know lots of people who know all the right answers, and yet with their life, they reject Jesus. They live opposite, because it's not just about acquiring information or trying really hard to change your behavior. It's about having an encounter with Jesus that changes you, transforms you. You're a different person. And that's why our very first foundational value is that we're a worshiping community. We were in the prayer room earlier, and Chase Uh, brought up Moses and prayed this prayer of Moses, that Moses looks at God and he says, God, how will people know you sent us unless your presence goes with us? I love it. He says, it's your presence that sets us apart from all other peoples on the earth. Like, without your presence, we're just a religion. (laughs) But with your presence, we're the people of God. We're your people. You live with us. You walk with us. You lead us, right, by day and by night. You meet us in the tabernacle. So our goal as a church is just to say, like, if the presence of God isn't filling the church, then we are just another religion. We're just another list of rules, a list of do's and don'ts, as Paul says, don't touch, don't taste, don't eat. Like, we're we're just trying to lay out the things to be good. We're trying to be good. And I think most of us in this generation would say, we've encountered that kind of Christianity, and it's not enough. (laughs) It doesn't cover the deep longings of our hearts we can't be good on our own god is good and his goodness can cover us so we want to be a, a worshiping community and you you find this friends if you just read the bible all the way from front to back you will find a god whose desire is to live amongst his people is to be present in the garden he's with adam and eve and then he shows up to abraham and he calls him to be his people then with moses in the tabernacle then in the temple um, then in the actual flesh and blood of Jesus, God dwelt among, uh, amongst us. And then uh, with the church, God says, your, my spirit will be in your midst. And then in the end, if you read about the new heavens and the new earth, it says that God will be in their midst. And there won't even be a need for a son anymore. Because <laughs> his light will fill everything. God's presence is the primary thread throughout the entire Bible that shows his love for us, that he wants to be near us. Moses said, I need your presence. And then he says, show me your glory. Because if I could just catch a, a glimpse of your glory, I'd never be the same. And I could I could live into this crazy calling that you have more in my life to lead these people through the desert. Like, I, I can do it if I know your glory. If I don't know your glory, man, it, I don't know that I can do it. And friends, I, I was, like, as I was praying through this, I was just like, this is like the difference between fresh food and leftovers. <laughs> right? Like when somebody makes you a meal from scratch and you eat it while it's hot and you just like, oh, it's just. And then they can serve you the same meal that's been in the fridge for three days and you can try to microwave it. But it, it's not the same not the same and i I just think so many of us for so long in so many churches are living off leftovers we got a bunch of old food in the fridge from other people's stories other generations and we're living off of it and god's like i have manna for you every day fresh new surprising amazing just ready for you to take every single day you don't have to live on leftovers and i think sometimes the world comes into the church and they they eat our food and they're just like ugh. Ooh, that's a little stale. That's a little, man, that's old, that's old bread. So so we want fresh presence of Jesus because we believe it transforms people. So we sow into that. So every Wednesday night, we're here doing worship and prayer. Every noon on Mondays, we're in this room doing worship and prayer. Our staff, every single day, worships and prays together for at least an hour. We are sowing into his presence. We want to be near Jesus because that's where people change. Getting near Jesus is what changes people. And then we hear the voice of Jesus, right? When he goes in the temple, he overturns the money changers. What does he say? My house shall be a house of prayer. Not a house of preaching. Not a house of learning. Not a house of people following all the rules. My house will be a house full of people who love my presence. They just want to be with me. They want to be near me. They want to see me, hear me, touch touch me, feel me. They want all that. They want me. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Um, John 4, Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus declares, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit spirit. In truth, listen to this, for they are the kind of worshipers that Jesus seeks. What is Jesus seeking on the earth right now? I think he's seeking worshipers. Because if he has your worship, he knows he has your heart. He wants your heart. And out of the heart is where our love gets directed. It's worship is love externalized. It's saying, what's happening in here? I have to get out of me and I've got to express it with my voice and with my body and with all of me. I need God to know that I love him first. Jesus said, what's the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Then love your neighbor as yourself, right? But listen, you can't love your neighbor to love God. You have to love God, right? You, you have to love him first, your affection Your devotion has to be poured out to him. And then the result of that is overflowing love toward your neighbors. It's a natural result. Loving neighbors. We've talked a lot about um, the church in many ways has settled for the omnipresence of God. When God's offering manifest presence. Right? God is everywhere at all times, but it's available in the same measure, and it's available to, to pretty much everyone. God is everywhere at all times, and yet the Bible just continually talks about God's desire to manifest his power and presence in your life. He wants you to know him in a different way than other people do who don't love and serve him. Right? He's like, I want to be available to you in a different way, just like I'm available to Annie, my wife, and my children in a different way than I am to anyone else. Why? Because they're my first affection and devotion in this human flesh and blood thing, right? And then I'm available outside of that. But God's saying, you are my bride, the church. I'm available to you in a way that I'm not available to other peoples who don't call Jesus Lord. So we don't want to settle for omnipresence. We want to meet God. And, and here, here's what I know. I know in a culture, let's call the culture Oklahoma, And let's call it Oklahoma Christianity, Bible Belt Christianity, Southern, whatever you want to call it. um, I think one of our biggest idols is religion. And and I think one of the biggest challenges to religion is worship. Passionate, exuberant, enthusiastic, abandoned worship offends the religious. Right? Right? And we know that because it happened with Jesus. Luke 7, he's having a a dinner with these Pharisees and a sinful woman approaches him and comes in the room. And what does she do? She starts weeping on his feet, washing his feet with her hair. She's just so in love with this man who has forgiven all of her sins, who knows her and loves her and treats her as an equal. And, and, And guess what? The other people are like, what in the world? I thought this was a righteous man. I thought he was a teacher. How does he not know her history? Like abandoned passionate worship offends the religious. The older brother and the prodigal son, he missed the story. He missed the party, right? Because he was offended by the father's outpouring of love on the sinful brother on the wayward brother, on the prodigal brother, and he couldn't, it's just like, and here's what I think, I think in this age, the church, we need to do everything we can to offend our religion. All the religion we've acquired over the ages, over the years of sitting in church, it it needs to get offended. Because Jesus wants our heart, and we want the kind of community where religion gets scattered, (laughs) right? Right? Where old religion, old covenant stuff just gets cast out. I think the church is for lovers. I think that Jesus just wants people who love him. And guess what? He loves lovers who are really screwed up. I love King David was like, you read his story and you're like, what in the world? How's this guy the king of Israel? And how did God not strike him with a lightning bolt? Murder, adultery, war, all this stuff. And yet God says, here's a man after my own heart. You know why? Because he knew he knew his sin, he he understood and he would repent and come back and then he'd screw up, And he, he, but he was always after God he was always running after him so we want that kind of community, we want to be a worshiping community we want to be a disciple making community right? we want to be Matthew 28, out, go out into all the world and make disciples and I think the key is what kind of disciples we don't want people who can just regurgitate scripture, we want to reproduce those kinds of people, worshipers We want to turn worshipers into disciples. I love this. Teaching them to obey. And I think that's like this over time, you will learn how to obey. It's not that the moment you become a Christian, you got it all right, all the rules, you're following it all. It's like, no, 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 over time, we are learning how to obey. But our learning comes in the context of abiding, of intimacy with Jesus. Abide in me, right? Right? apart from me you can do nothing i'm the true vine my father's the gardener he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more faithful so can i just tell you like sometimes i hear that verse and i i, I can picture god just going around the garden looking at the trees and be like no fruit and i don't think that's the case i think it's like oh no fruit today maybe tomorrow no fruit this week, maybe next week, no fruit this month. I think God's patience, I think we can miss it in this text. I think we just think of, of, of of a guard just going through just hacking all the stuff off of us, and I don't think that's it, but I do think God's saying, if you'll just live in me, I will bring the fruit. Your only job is to abide. Isn't that crazy? He's like, you don't even produce fruit. You bear it. It just hangs off your tree. Your only job is to come and be, and abide, another word they use is remain. Just stay with me. Just stay. Just stay. I remember uh, Annie tells this story about her grandpa. Uh, I'm going to get weepy, but um, he was in, in uh, had Alzheimer's, and he's in the unit, and he had to separate from his wife. So she stayed in an apartment over here, and he stayed over here. And they said every night he would just be like, honey, would you just stay? Could you just stay tonight? I'll, I'll make, I'll say. He's like, he'd be like, I'll sleep on the couch. I mean, he would like do all this stuff if you would just stay. I love that. I think that's a picture of Jesus, this, this spouse who just said, will you just stay with me? I just love you. I just love you. Would you just stay? Would you remain in me? Would you abide in me? Would you stop worrying about all the stuff you need to fix? And would you just stay with me? Would you just be with me? So when we say we want to make disciples, we're not talking about like we want special forces, crazy, like street evangelists. You know, like if, if, <laughs> if you abide in Jesus in that way and he goes with you, great. I, I mean, be a street preacher. That's it's not me. But listen, do it. But don't do it out of the thought that you have to do something for God. You don't have to do a bunch of stuff for God. He just says, come be with me, yoke yourself with me, and let's, we'll walk into life. And I'll let you know when I want you to do something. So a disciple is not someone who acquires a bunch of information or someone who can, who can do all the right things. A disciple is someone who loves Jesus with their whole heart. We behold Jesus. And as we behold him, we become something different. We all, with unveiled faces, beholding him, are being transformed from one degree of glory to another until we meet him and he becomes all in all. So discipleship is actually about beholding and discipleship's about staying fascinated with Jesus. One of my favorite stories, a, a, a guy named Lance, my good buddy in Vancouver, um, we were talking about, uh, about it and he, he shared about he'd been married for t- 20 years and he made this statement, he said, and after all these years, I'm still curious about her. I love that statement. I'm still curious. Like, I, I think in many ways, boredom, as Corey Russell would say, is the biggest enemy to the church today. I think we, we can easily forget our fascination and this author he said he said you cannot disciple someone who's not who you cannot disciple someone who's not fascinated with Jesus it's impossible so we want worship to produce fascination with Jesus obsession devotion affection and that will turn into discipleship transformation through corporate beholding has always been God's plan for discipleship from the very beginning and then the last thing is that we we want to be, right, a worshiping community, a disciple-made community, and a generational community. I love 2 Timothy 1.5 says, uh, Paul's talking to Timothy. He says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. Like, we want to be a multi-generational faith-passing church right and so we have to what I just said about all of you and what we want for you is what we want for our children we don't want to teach our kids to be good kids that may sound weird but but so many times trying to get your kid to be good is convincing them something opposite of what God says he says you don't have to be good to know me I know you (laughs) I love you and so we want our children to encounter Jesus we want them to come to know him in a personal way, and um, I was—we were on vacation these last couple weeks, and we got to meet this family from another state and share kind of the story of our church. And I said, one of my favorite things about Skyline right now is our adult children who grew up in this church who have come back. That's like one of the one of the biggest joys of my life is watching. Chase Dewey, watching, like, Mary Kate, watching, like, Emily Hall, like, like, these people, like, grow up in our church, graduate college and go, where, like, where do we want to go? And they're not like, oh, not my parents' church, I don't know about that. Or like, isn't that awesome? Like, we, we want to be a place that is so about Jesus, it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, it doesn't matter how hip you are. Doesn't matter what socioeconomic background you are, anything like that. We're just saying, like, if you want to passionately pursue Jesus, you fit here. You can be a part of this. You can be here. I love that that we're doing this. uh, When we did our our family ministry discipleship circle, I don't know if y'all remember that last. I think it was last September, and we talked about, you know, the parents are the center of the circle. They're the ones who disciple their children, and then we've got kind of mentors, and then we've got guides. And uh, after church, Lena brought her little thing up to me and she, uh, she was, had written on it, Annie and my mom and dad. And then she goes, uh, where do Chase and Mallory fit on this? Where do they go? Which circle do they go in? And I was just like, isn't that so good? She knew they're on this circle somewhere. She didn't quite get all of it, but she's like, where do they go? And I was like, isn't that amazing that I, my kids will get to grow up with people like Chase and Mallory as mentors and guides in their life when they're like, I can't talk to dad. He's an idiot. Um, they'll be like, but Chase, that guy knows everything, right? He's awesome. He's amazing. Um, so handsome. I mean, I'm just uh But, yeah, isn't that cool? I just think, like, that's what I, I want. I want my children to have many, many, many guides and mentors. I want them to grow up and not just be stuck in a back corner of the church saying someday the church will belong to you. I want them growing up saying this is my church. These are my church people adults in this room know my name they love me they miss me when i'm gone whenever i'm upset or something bad's going on in my life these people call me they'll invest in my life i we want this to be that kind of church and our 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 goal friends is that every child at our church will have an encounter with jesus that will stick with them for a lifetime because they can memorize all the scripture you want to do all the right things and, and and really in a lot of ways we can teach them a, a bunch of, but they, if they meet jesus face to face if they hear his voice even if they wander to a far country and spend their inheritance in reckless living, <laughs> they'll be like, Oh, the father's house. I remember, remember man, the father's good. He's good. I remember that. I remember meeting him. I remember hearing stories at church. I remember watching people weep at the altar. I remember taking communion with these families. I can that's a place I can go back. I can go back there. So this is this is what we're doing. Um, we wanna be a worshiping community. We want to be a disciple made community. We we want to be a generational community, and friends, I, I just I am so excited about where our church is at and where we're going. Even though I don't know where we're going, so uh, if you're looking at me to know the plan, I, I I don't know what's happening. God's doing something though in our generation. Can I just say that? God is doing something in this generation. I think we're going to see revival. And and why do I think that? Because things are so bad in the world. (laughs) So that's the good news. The good news for Christians, whenever things go like this in the world, God's waiting to be like, all right, at the right moment, we're going to see revival. We're going to see renewal. We're going to see the church come alive. We're going to get opportunity to see signs and wonders, I think, in our generation. So what do we do? We wait for him in the way that he tells us to wait. How did the disciples wait? They waited together. They waited in his presence. They committed themselves to prayer together until the Holy Spirit showed up and told them what to do. And so we're going to do the same thing. So I want to invite our um, band back up. And I just want to say, you know, we've got a lot of new people. And people say, how do I get connected here? What does it look like? And can I just give you a little bit of a roadmap? Here's where, if I could ask you, this is a way. I would say the number one way to get connected to this church is to come on Wednesday nights to worship and pray. That's it. And I don't mean connected to a bunch of friends and connected. I I mean, if you want to connect to the heartbeat of this church, we love the presence of Jesus. If you want to do that, come on Wednesday nights. And don't just come once. Like, make a commitment. Say, for six months, I'm just going to show up every Wednesday night. And I'm going to be in that room with those people. And we're going to build a history together in the presence of Jesus. I, I promise you, I haven't seen anyone who's done that, that it hasn't changed their life. So if you're like, man, I, I want life change. I want transformation. I want to know God. I just want to encourage you to do it. Now, is it hard to do? Yes, I've got six children. Wednesday nights after church. Wednesday nights here is the best night of my week. Wednesday night after church is the worst night of my week. <laughs> All right? But friends, it, I, I just think if that's the only cost I pay for the rest of my life to be near Jesus, man, if that's too much, I need to go travel the world and see the church in iran the church in pakistan the church in china what costs are people paying to be near jesus if mine's that my kids are cranky and stay up late and are disrespectful and i'm yelling at them and i gotta go i need to come back to church then and like ask forgiveness it's like that's okay but just do that another one's at wednesday at noon or sorry mondays at noon we do live worship in this room and i know some of you are like i can't break away from work but some of you can Just make a commitment say for you know for two or three months i'm just going to be here every single time i can i just want to be in the room do you have any like probably unconvinced doubting unrighteous people were in the upper room with the disciples who just got dragged in by a friend or a family member and they were there for pentecost i don't know i bet there's a few though at least who are just like i was just in the room man and like tongues of fire started hanging out and i was like and my life was never the same so i want to do that we have discovery bible studies um, now we have uh, ministries. We're doing a soul care ministry right now. It's, inner, it's like it's just transformation. We're going to talk about Sozo in a couple of weeks, about inner healing. and prayer. I, I'm just telling you, there's so many ways to get connected. One is just to look across the aisle and say, like, hey, I don't know that person. Could we just grab a bite to eat after church? Because I just need to know some people. But, but I just want to say, like, I want you to connect to the core of our church, which is that we're a worshiping community. And so I just encourage you to do that. And here's what I know is that um our life, this life that we're living, uh and, and I had this revelation about uh my parents and my grandparents, so I grew up a pastor's kid, my mom's dad was a pastor, his dad was a pastor, his dad was a circuit riding Methodist preacher in Oklahoma Territory before it was a state. He rode a horse around this state preaching the gospel. Well, it wasn't a state, the territory, right? So I know what it feels like to be in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and just do the thing over and over again and think my parents were just really churchy and religious and what a waste of time. And as an adult now, I'm just like, I think they understood that this life is so hard. I need way more of Jesus and his people than I thought. This isn't meant to be done alone. It's not to be meant to do with a little group over here on the side or just my own personal devotion to Jesus. It's meant to be done with the body of Christ together. And I just want to tell you, it works. Can I just tell you, that way of being a Christian, it works. So powerful. So I just want to invite you into that. So would you stand to your feet? I want to pray for us, and we're just going to sing. And we'll close in prayer in a few minutes. And I, I, I love this song. I love this statement. I believe you're working. I still believe you're working. I believe that the Book of Acts isn't just a fairy tale. I don't believe it ended there. I think this kind of life is available to us if we will give ourselves to it. So we want to be that kind of church. We'd love for you to join us. So Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We acknowledge you as the Lord of heaven and earth. We believe that you are fully God and that you became fully man, that you took on flesh and blood to know our pain, our suffering, to witness with us the difficulty and the devastation of this life and this earth, and you took all of that on yourself on the cross to die, that we could be near to the Father, that we with unveiled faces might look on your face and that we could be transformed that you could take all of our sin and failure and shame and mistakes and unworthiness and you could wash it away once for all, that we could live free, we could live bold, and that you could use us for your purposes on the earth. So Lord, we want all that you have for us. So today I just pray if there's anything that's been holding you back from fully engaging with the body of Christ, would you just allow the Holy Spirit to deal with that this morning? If it's church baggage, I just encourage you, let it go. If it's leadership baggage, let it go. Whatever it is, Jesus' invitation today is to know you, for you to be known by him, and for you to come into his people. So we just love you, Jesus. We thank you for the invitation And we would just receive it this morning with glad hearts. We want to be a worshiping community, a disciple-making community. And we want to see generations, Lord, changed through the gospel of the kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing. site at